The activities that fit in the market insight matrix aren't particularly hard or time consuming. It's easy to take a look at website analytics to set up some dashboards for social media and run a pre-selling campaign. And sure, these things take some effort, but one person can usually pull them off without a huge time investment. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 312 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This is the first in an informal series of episodes we'll be focusing on tools for learning businesses. We'll intersperse the episodes in with interviews, so these tool talks will air slowly over the coming months. And we wanted to highlight tools that we use and have developed because it occurred to us that podcast listeners, aka you, dear listener, might not know about these resources. And we believe, in fact, we know them to be valuable. So we want to make sure you're aware of the tools and you know how and why to use them. And today we'll start with the Market Insight Matrix. Yes, the good old Market Insight Matrix. And Rather than jumping straight into what it is and how to use it, we want to start with why learning business professionals should care about this tool, why you might want to use the Market Insight Matrix. And even though we haven't said what it is yet, you hear market right at the front of the name of the Market Insight Matrix. And understanding your market is an essential part of what any learning business has to do. Definitely. Market assessment is key to being able to identify ideas for new products and services that are likely to address a real need or want and be successful if they're developed and launched. Market assessment involves asking and answering key questions. And some of the key questions we expect to engage with as part of market assessment include, what problems or opportunities do our customers, our learners face? How much do they care about those problems and opportunities? What are their alternatives for addressing those problems and opportunities? How would our offering be different from the alternatives? And are they willing to pay appropriately for a solution? Now, the answers to those questions is likely to vary significantly over time and to vary significantly from customer to customer, learner to learner. And that means market assessment needs to be a process. Market assessment needs to happen continually, habitually. Market assessment should not be a time-limited, you know, annual or even biannual event. It's something you do really week in and week out, or even better yet, day in and day out. Yeah, I really can't stress that enough. And your market assessment should also take advantage of multiple diverse inputs rather than just relying on a single source, like, for example, your internal education team or an annual survey. And your market assessment should use agile techniques that can be used and reused. Given the need to do market assessment frequently and to involve diverse inputs, you really need something agile and quick so that you don't bog down in a cumbersome approach and then just wind up abandoning the work. So this is where the market insight matrix comes in. It helps you not bog down, helps you ask and answer those questions I mentioned, helps ensure you get diverse input and breaks the market assessment work down so you can do it frequently on an ongoing basis. Now with why covered, let's talk about what the market insight matrix actually is. 
At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com slash services. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 312, you can find a link to download The Matrix, which is freely available on the Tagoras website. And Tagoras, by the way, is the parent company of Leading Learning for listeners who may not have known that. But even if you don't go download it right now, I will say that The Matrix is pretty easy to visualize. You want to imagine a three by three grid. So there are three columns and three rows. The columns are three stages, idea generation, idea verification, and idea testing. And the rows are three types of activities, three categories of activities, tracking, listening, and asking. So combining the stages and the types of activities creates a rigorous and practical process to help you better understand your market for lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development, and identify learning products that will address market needs. Let's talk more about the stages. Those are the column headers, idea generation, idea verification, and idea testing. So the first of the three stages is idea generation. The higher the quality of the ideas you can come up with initially, the easier and more effective the subsequent parts of the process will be. You want to ensure diversity of input at this stage. So again, don't rely solely on the input of your internal education team, as valuable as that may be. But you also want to make sure to get input from other staff and from volunteers, you know, an education committee, if you have one, from your subject matter experts and instructors, from important customers, from influencers in your market, and from the variety of data available to you because of the internet and all the data that users generate as they interact with your systems and sites. You know, but in our experience, many organizations effectively stop at this idea generation stage. So, you know, maybe you have the the typical brainstorming meeting, the whiteboarding, and come up with a, a few ideas, prioritize one or two of them, usually based on the influence of a small number of people within the organization, and then you proceed to building a product. A better way to approach assessment is to take the ideas generated and then put them through a verification process to get a sense of whether your product idea is really likely to fly or not. And idea verification is the second stage of market assessment. And then finally, you want to test your product idea. And idea testing is the third stage of market assessment, that third column. So you want to put the concept or a version of the product, if you can do that, out into the marketplace and see if you can get people to take some action. So those are the the columns in our matrix. Uh, Let's look now at our row headers, the three types of activities, tracking, listening, and asking. Now, the first path, tracking, focuses primarily on historical quantitative data. So what can you tell about the behavior of your learners and customers in the recent past? What content has interested them, for example? Where have they found the content that interests them? The second path is listening, 
And that involves focusing on observing what learners and customers are saying. What are they saying as they interact with each other, as they interact with your organization and its offerings, and even as they interact with your competitors and their offerings? And then the third path, the third row is asking. And this is where you engage directly with key stakeholders to request their input. And this is the path of traditional tools like surveys and focus groups. And so we combine the three stages and the three types of activities to create the market insight matrix. And the goal of the market insight matrix is to ensure you don't place undue emphasis on any particular stage or any particular path. So you're getting that critical diversity of input. And the stages combined with the paths take you through a logical progression that helps you be rigorous at each stage and filter down to the best options which then, of course, yield the best kind of educational products, the ones that reach many learners, that generate revenue, and that have big impact. So let's talk about how to use the Market Insight Matrix. The three columns and three rows give us nine boxes in the matrix. And what you want to do is fill in each of the nine boxes with specific things you are doing or that you might do. And so we'll offer some examples for each of the nine boxes, but they are just examples. They'll hopefully get you thinking in some ways you may not have thought before, but real value will be in you taking that matrix resource and starting to experiment as part of your organization's market assessment efforts. If you're in a position to, we suggest you pause the podcast here and download and print a copy of the Market Insight Matrix, and you can then take notes as we talk about some specific tools and actions that you might make use of. So let's look at the first column, idea generation. The first row in that column is tracking. Pretty much everything that happens on the internet these days is captured and can therefore be tracked and reported on. And that means there is a wealth of data about what people are searching for and what's popular. And all of this can tell you a lot about what problems your learners and customers are trying to solve and even how they might be going about solving them. And so for our money, website analytics is one of the most valuable activities you can do in this idea generation stage. Website analytics allow you to track many of the actions users take on your web properties. And you can do this using a tool like Google Analytics, which is free and very widely used. It is widely used, but you know my sense is that many learning business professionals don't have a great understanding of what's actually available in Google Analytics. Or even if they do, they may not be making regular use of it. But it is truly amazing what you can get out of Google Analytics, and particularly if you also connect it into Google Search Console, which is also free. I mean, you're going to be able to tell what the most popular pages on your site are, including the catalog pages, the specific product pages. You're going to be able to see where traffic is coming from. You're going to be able to see what types of technologies were used. I can remember a case a few years ago, for example, when the the mobile traffic on an organization's website was really high. And it was also really high at specific times of year when uh, certification renewal came around. <laughs> and they weren't really aware of that and they were not delivering a good mobile experience. I mean, addressing that one thing can be a game changer in terms of your ability to engage with your learners and, and generate revenue. So yeah, Google Analytics, you got to school yourself in that. And then of course, think about other systems that you use beyond your main organizational website 
good sources for data include your LMS and the reporting that you might get out of that. You might have email click data from a, a marketing system. You probably also have reports from a CRM or an AMS. All of those are great places for you to go and see what data you have and begin to understand what it is that your users are interested in finding and how they're going about finding it and which of the offerings that you already have out there are resonating already with them. Yeah. And the point is not to overwhelm yourself with data. I mean, there's so much data out there, but if you go through this process consciously, you're going to start to realize some of the the data points that really matter in the context of your learning business. And you're going to focus in on, you know, it may just be two or three even that you're just regularly tracking that are telling you what you need to know. Now, let's move on to the next row, listening uh, in our idea generation column. By listening, we don't necessarily mean literally listening. I mean, usually you don't actually hear anything, but you can observe what kinds of things learners do as they engage in online communities or participate in any listservs your learning business might host. And and you can see what people in your audience have typed into chat logs, for example, from webinars. So all sorts of ways to observe and, and quote, listen to, to what they're doing and saying. And we also include here feedback that you might get through open-ended questions. So for example, if you have evaluations for your courses and learning events, um, and you invite people to just put in whatever is on their minds, this is a great place for you to listen because that is open-ended and you can find out what is top of mind for them. And all of these sources can provide valuable clues into what's going on in people's minds, what problems or opportunities they're facing. And then, of course, what types of products might be most useful to them? Yeah, and the listening we're talking about doesn't have to be time intensive or require elaborate training for your staff. In fact, just about nothing in in the matrix really has to be time intensive or require a lot of training. You know, with this, it's a simple matter of tuning in and listening on a consistent basis. And it doesn't have to be on your own listservs or in your own community. So don't worry if you don't have those. You know, you can listen in on sites like LinkedIn or wherever your customers and learners are active, and you're going to see things that are going to be blips on the radar, maybe a new regulation that's coming along that people are concerned about, or some new trend that's emerging that it's going to make sense for you to develop content around. The last row in the idea generation column is asking. And this is where a number of traditional activities come into play. This is where you would go to your education committee or your subject matter experts, for example, and ask for ideas. It's also the place where focus groups or brainstorming sessions or interviews can be valuable. And while these activities do tend to be very good for idea generation, you do have to use them appropriately and you have to recognize some of their shortcomings. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to use focus groups or interviews, for example, you really have to make sure you get as representative a sampling as you can from your target markets as much as possible. You want the ideas to come from the people who are actual potential customers, the people who are actually going to buy your product. One very simple activity for asking at this idea generation stage that often gets overlooked is email. Simply email out a question or more than one question, and you want to send it particularly to people who are likely to to be engaged enough to provide answers. And the you know abilities we have now to automate emails makes this even more powerful. You could have a trigger in place where if someone completes X action, it's going to send them an email and ask them for more information. 
Yeah, the ability to do that is amazing. And I mean, you know, one one simple approach that we use regularly, and we've seen many learning businesses also use this successfully, is to use just a single question as part of an automated sign-up sequence. So, you know, someone who signed up for your email list is sent a series of emails in which you provide them with, you know, something of value. And then in one of these emails, and often it's the last, you ask a single question, usually open-ended, that's very relevant to where the recipient's mind and motivation are likely to be at that time. And of course, that also relates to your product planning. Now, with any of these asking approaches, it's very important to be as open-ended as possible at this stage, because again, this is idea generation. So you're trying to generate ideas. And as part of that, you want to make sure that as much as possible, you avoid assumptions. So don't lead people too much. Give them time to truly think and interact and then be prepared to go in different directions based on the interactions that you have with people. It might help you kind of refine or see a new direction you might go. And then two, don't rely on the input in this box as your only input for moving forward with a product. You know, we see a lot of organizations do that. Maybe you've done it yourself and that can just leave far too much open to chance. Now, this could be a good place if you're in a position to do it, to, to pause and make some notes about what you're doing in the idea generation stage and what you might add in each of those categories, tracking, listening, and asking. So let's move on to the second stage, idea verification and some of the activities you might undertake in this stage. So the goal in this stage is to take an idea you generated in stage one and then verify its potential. And as part of that verification, start to refine it. How powerfully does your idea resonate in the market? What is its potential reach and impact and revenue? How might your idea need to be modified to really fit market needs? And at this stage, you want to cast your net broadly enough to include not just your current learners and customers, but your prospective learners and customers. Again, you rely on the three main categories of activities, tracking, listening, and asking. And again, there are a variety of possible activities and tools in each path, and just a few of which we're going to mention today. In the tracking category for idea verification, one great approach is a simple web search. When you use a search engine like Google, you're getting a report on the behavior of thousands or even millions of people on the web. What ranks high in the results are the things that most people have found relevant and valuable based on the algorithms, the the magic Google sauce back there. But it is based on this idea of relevance and value. And so that means that It's worth searching on a range of terms that describe whatever it is you plan to offer and see what comes up. Yeah, I mean, the power of that really can't be underestimated. And I hope listeners will understand or getting the idea here that, you know, we're not talking about going out and buying a bunch of fancy tools. We've talked about Google Analytics, which is free. We've talked about, you know, running surveys, which most organizations do anyway, but could get better um, at doing. And, you know, now we're talking about simple Google search, but you can also, you know, use tools that that help to leverage uh, Google and other forms of search to give you even deeper information, say, about your competition or about the keywords, the, the things that people are going to tend to type in to get to you through search. And, 
you might want to look at tools like, say, Uber Suggest, which uh, has a, a lot of capabilities that are free, where you can go and type in a competitor's website and see, you know, what are the what are the keywords, what are the terms people are searching on to get them to that competitor? How are they ranking for those keywords? What are some of the popular pages on their site? Those are the types of things you can get there. You can go to a tool like Answer the Public um, and put in a topic and find out what kind of questions people are asking uh, about that topic. You can go to a tool like BuzzSumo and see what's actually trending on social media in topic areas that you're interested in. So, you know, if, you, if you've got a particular topic you're thinking about producing a course on, you'll be able to see if there are any, you know, trending posts on, on that that it's worth you knowing about if people really are tuning into that topic. So there's just a, there, there's a ton of things you can do in, in this area. So we've been talking about active searching, and that is the core of many of these tracking activities in the idea verification verification stage. But you also have the ability to set up passive monitoring or listening posts that will push information to you. And that's a really important part of this listening stage as well. I'm guessing that most listeners are very familiar with blogging and familiar with the major social networks out there. But I think what folks tend to be less savvy about is the ability to monitor the activity and content in those channels in sort of an automated way. Yeah, you can use a tool like Hootsuite and, and there are you know, various others. They give you the ability to set up monitoring of multiple public social media streams that are relevant to your field and industry and give you rapid visibility into the conversations that are going on. You can, for example, track mentions of your organization on networks like Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and have that, you know, rolled up all into one place so you don't have to keep going to each one of those sites to look. So, you know, if someone has shared content that uh, you've posted, you're, you'll be able to see that easily. You can also easily assemble a list of people on Twitter who are influential in your market. So those could be particular customers, they could be industry thought leaders, they could even be competitors. But once you set up that list, then you can follow what they're saying. So in general, this gives you a kind of social dashboard for quickly tuning in to market conversations. And as part of verification, you know, what you want to look for and listen for is evidence that people are actually talking about issues or terms that relate to whatever your product idea is. And the more evidence you see of that, that tells you the stronger your idea is. Yeah, that's really what you're looking for here is evidence, you know, signals from your audience, from the market you're trying to serve, that the topics that the ideas that you're thinking about developing products around actually have some resonance, that they are things that people are paying attention to and then seem to have some need for knowledge and learning on. And I'll say I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, RSS readers like Feedly for listening. I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, Feedly, in, in fact. And an RSS reader, for those who you know, aren't, aren't up on all of the uh, internet acronyms, is, is just simply a web-based tool that allows you to subscribe to any content source that has a an RSS or really simple syndication feed associated with it. And this includes blogs, but it also includes a variety of other resources like saved searches or alerts that you might set up for particular topics. Um, Feedly these days even allows you to create RSS feeds for sites that don't have them right now. So, you know, you know, you can, even if somebody's not using that, you can still take advantage of it. And, you know, using this as a tool, you can again, put together a sort of dashboard that enables you to quickly monitor key news uh, sources and, and thought leaders in your market. And it's actually a, a great potential source for idea generation, but it's also a way to take the idea 
or ideas you have generated and get a better idea of how well they resonate in the broader market and you know how they might need to be refined. So finally, let's talk about asking at this idea verification stage. And this is a good time to run surveys or to conduct focused interviews. So we, we mentioned interviews earlier. Those at that idea generation stage should really be more open-ended again so that you're not bringing too many assumptions to those conversations and you're being led where the market is, is telling you to go. But at this point, you could do more focused interviews because now you know enough about your idea that you can ask some good questions. Some of the other activities we've already covered can also help in shaping those questions and possibly even give you some additional channels for distributing a survey. And I would say as a tip when coming up with questions for your surveys or for your interviews at this stage, we strongly recommend that you not ask about preferences. So don't ask something like, would you prefer an online course or a place-based workshop? Instead, what you want to do is you want to ask about actual behavior. So something like, how many online courses have you attended in the past year? Or how many place-based workshops have you attended in the place-based year? And that's because um, actual behavior is a much stronger indicator of future behavior than preference. Yeah, we really can't stress that enough. We see it again and again in, in organizations doing more of this sort of preference-based asking. And that's one of the, probably the chief sources of the, we built it and they didn't come phenomenon because they, you, you thought you'd been told that people would do this, but you were asking about preferences, not about what they actually do or are likely to do. Now, one additional tip related to survey distribution is that uh, you may want to go beyond your usual list. And there are now, you know, a number of really pretty sophisticated services out there designed to help you reach out and, and survey a particular target market. So there are you know, uh, services like Ask Your Target Market, uh, Gut Check, and even SurveyMonkey offer services for getting your survey out to particular markets and particular audiences. And, and this can be especially helpful if you're headed into new markets where you don't have a significant list of your own. You know, For example, if you're considering making an international move, but you've traditionally been only domestically focused. This is another natural place to pause, make a few notes about what tracking, listening, and asking activities you're doing to support the idea verification stage. Here we are at stage three, idea testing, where the air is kind of rarefied because <laughs> relatively few learning businesses ever reach this point in, in my experience. And the idea here is to see what kind of reaction or even better commitment you get to your product or your product idea before it is complete, or in some cases, before it is even started. You know, one of the, the very powerful opportunities the internet provides, of course, is the ability to put ideas and concepts in front of people very rapidly and easily, and in ways that help you engage what their reaction to an actual product is likely to be, what their behavior is actually going to be. A simple example of an activity in the tracking box is to send out two versions of an email related to your product or product idea, and each would have a different subject line or different body content. And then you see which one gets more opens. That's a process called split testing. 
Offer testing is another activity that you could do here. Right. And an example of offer testing is to create a landing page for a product before it's actually available and use it to gauge interest for the product. Um, and the landing page is just simply where, you know, somebody's going to show up and learn about that product and its, uh, its availability um, or something related to that product. And the key is that you want people to take an action based on what you tell them about the product. And that may be even as simple as getting people to sign up for an email list to receive more information. In fact, that's very often what it is. And I think we all know that getting people to hand over an email address these days is often not all that easy. If you can't get them to do that, then you really have to question whether you're going to be able to get them to give you a credit card. So, you know, ways to structure an offer include providing incentives. So it might be a free ebook or white paper on a related topic or, or some video content, or you could offer bonus content. So, you know, you know, sign up now for the seminar. And then when the seminar happens, you get to have lunch with the facilitator or sit in the front row or whatever you think the appropriate incentive is. And for this to work as a real test for a potential offering, it's important to set up a compelling landing page that has a really solid description of the offer and a clear explanation of the value of this product. If people won't hand over an email address or take whatever action you're aiming for, you really probably then need to find a more compelling value proposition. Definitely. Another approach we really like, and this would be moving into the listening box, is to test out a prototype or mock-up of your product and see how users react. So, you know, this is going a step further than just setting up a, a landing page. And you can do this sort of thing quite easily these days using something like uh, Usability Hub, for example. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Usability Hub offers testing tools that can help you uncover design issues early on so that you can correct them. And it can help you with preferences. Uh, Usability Hub can help with marketing your offerings. So it can help you optimize landing pages or email campaigns, but it can also help with the design and layout and usability of online courses, for example. There are a variety of use cases and methodologies to draw on and Usability Hub can also find the testers for you because they maintain this big pool of testers, or they can work with you to use your existing learners and customers or your prospects as the testers if, if you prefer that. Now, finally, in the asking box, options include piloting, pre-selling, and crowdfunding. Now, piloting keeps your initial user group smaller and hopefully thereby also keeps down some of your costs. You can also use results and, and feedback from the pilot to fine-tune your product and mine that feedback for promotional material to help you with the big post-pilot launch, assuming that you move on to that based on what you find out in the pilot. Pre-selling in general means that you go out and find a buyer for a product before you ever build it and you get those buyers to commit to enough purchases to make it worth it for you to build it. Now, usually this will happen with a, a big customer or a set of customers. So you might be looking at a, a corporate client. You might be looking at, you know, an organizational sale. So if you typically sell your courses one by one, this would be looking for the organization that will buy how many ever, a hundred or whatever it takes to make sense for your product. But I will say that there are now platforms in place that enable pre-selling to happen, even with that dispersed base of individual customers. And Kickstarter is one of the most popular sites for this kind of crowdfunding. And the idea is that you connect with people who need or would benefit from whatever you're making. 
And then because they really want or need what you're making, they have a natural incentive for paying upfront. But in most cases, you will also offer some special incentives, additional bonus content, maybe a special session with a subject matter expert. And I will say that you might be thinking Kickstarter, that's not appropriate for our audience. And maybe it's not. But you can take the crowdfunding approach without the formal external platform like Kickstarter. So you can go to your email list and your current learners and say something like, we'll offer a workshop on X if we can get at least 10 people to commit and pay by such and such a date. And then you build it if and only if there's sufficient interest to support development. And we know that there's, you know, training opportunities we've taken advantage of before where the person offering them does just this on, on a regular basis. He'll send out an email and say, I will, I will run this workshop if I get X number of people to sign up. And they do. And he offers the workshop and he, he knows, you know, right out of the gate that he's got something that's going to at least break even for him. So how do you test ideas for new educational products or services? What else might you try? And don't forget to take some time to to jot notes down. That's, of course, if you're not driving right now. If you are driving, uh, be sure to come back and and, and listen again and, uh, and, and jot some notes down at that point. Definitely do take the time to jot down notes, whether now or in a little bit, because the market insight matrix is only valuable if you use it. Don't focus too much on any activity in a single role or column. If you're able to do something, even something small in each of the boxes, that's a good sign that you're engaging in a thorough market assessment. The activities that fit in the market insight matrix aren't particularly hard or time consuming. It's easy to take a look at website analytics to set up some dashboards for social media and run a pre-selling campaign. And sure, these things take some effort, but one person can usually pull them off without a huge time investment. The harder part is setting up the processes and habits to make sure you're tracking, listening, and asking on an ongoing basis. So that's our look at the Market Insight Matrix, a valuable tool for learning businesses. To download your copy of the Market Insight Matrix, please go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 312. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 312, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. And we hope you will subscribe if you haven't yet. We like subscription numbers because they give us some tracking data. Indeed, they do. And we'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcast, especially if you enjoy the show. Salise and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, which we do listen to, and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 312, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. <laughs>